we're passing out uh, worksheets for this uh, coming week where you can read Romans 2, I'm sorry, Romans 3 every day. And as it says there on the worksheet, uh, the challenge is to pray, read, and share. So before you read the chapter, pray. Ask the Lord to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Remember when we were going through Ephesians and we, we saw Paul praying for the Ephesians uh, that God would help them understand these great spiritual revelations. And we see that often in pr Paul's prayers, and it's, it's a great insight to us how to pray for ourselves, how to pray for one another. Paul understood with the natural mind, you're not going to understand the things of the Spirit. So you need a spiritual revelation, a supernatural spiritual revelation. So uh, before we read the chapter, we pray. And then we read it. And, you know, reading through, say, Romans 2 probably takes five minutes, you know. It takes me longer. I tend to get kind of stuck and start meditating on. Sometimes I have to just read out loud to myself to keep me myself going. But uh, so you pray, you read, and then at the end of the week, find somebody to share. Maybe even without notes to say, hey, I've been reading Romans 2 all week. Can I share with you? what I've learned, and just see what you can do from, from memory because you should have a pretty good working knowledge. And so we're excited about this. You know, I, I was thinking about revival, right? If you've ever studied revivals and, and how does revival come in a person's life? How does someone really get on fire spiritually? And, and, and in some circles, they, it's taught, well, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit, just moves upon people and, and people are revived. And yet I think it goes deeper than that where the Holy Spirit's already been sent. We ne need to learn how to walk in the Spirit. So it's not God withholding His Spirit from you. He's not withholding victory from you. But you need to learn how to walk in the Spirit. So there's a mindset when we get to Romans 8, and you can feel free to jump ahead. But it really comes to kind of a, a, a pinnacle there of where Paul's been leading us to understand sin and then to come to this place of understanding how to deal with sin as a Christian and now how to walk in the power of the Spirit. And it really is a mindset, and Paul emphasizes that, says it actually three or four times in Romans 8 there, those who... who um, have a mindset of the flesh, walk in the flesh. Those who have a mindset of the spirit, walk in the spirit. And, and the mindset of the flesh is a Christian just depending on their own religious flesh, as it were. Just doing your best to, to be a good person and to please God. You, if you're doing that, you don't get it yet. You haven't given up on yourself yet. And, and just depending on the spirit of Jesus Christ. So my point is, that's how revival comes. When you finally have the knowledge and the understanding of what God has done in Jesus Christ, and your faith begins to just feed on that truth that I'm, self is dead, Christ is resurrected, I'm feeding on his life now. You know, I was, I was thinking this morning, um, I, get, I get these wonderful revelations in worship. I, I don't know about you guys, but so often I'm just worshiping the Lord and like the Holy Spirit just shows me this beautiful truth. And this morning it was, you know, the woman who went to, to press in to touch the hem of his garment. 
And I thought, you know, isn't that a beautiful picture of the life of grace? Because there was a time in my Christian life when I was determined to please God. And I was a very serious Christian and, and uh, really wanted to please God, but didn't understand how to walk in faith and please God in my daily Christian life. So I was often pressing in you know, to do my best and to work harder for the Lord and, and, and to, um, you know, make sure I was doing my devotionals consistently and trying not to sin. I, I was pressing in. I wasn't necessarily pressing in to touch the hem of his garment for grace. I was pressing in to try to impress God, you know, with my works. And now, you know, I, th I just thought, what if we all decided this week we're just going to press in to touch the hem of his garment. We're going to be as determined as that woman to touch Jesus because you, you know remember that story how determined she was and man she just pre she had to press through the crowd there are people all around Jesus and she's like I know if I just touch him I'll be healed of, of this inner bleeding of this you know and, and many of us have that inner brokenness right we all do in sin and I thought what if we just said for all the needs that I have I'm just gonna I just gonna press into Jesus and be determined to touch him by faith and understand what he did on that cross. He died for me. He rose for me. So we're not just looking for a quick fix. You know, there's some, some circles will they, will they say, well, you just need to come up and have prayer for deliverance. And, uh, you know, some, some good Christians, we kind of disagree on these things. Now, obviously, we pray for people, and, and, and God touches them, and, and helps them, but it, it's much deeper than just like, okay, now you're fixed, I prayed, you're delivered, go away, and, and you know, live your life. It's like, no, man, you, I will pray for you, and I'll pray God touches you, but you need to learn how to walk with God. That's what you need to learn, because you're going to be all over the map. You're going to be up, you're going to be down, you're going to be up. You ever had that kind of roller coaster Christian life? That's not what God wants for you. He wants your faith the the roots of your faith to go deep into the person of Jesus Christ and then and then you ha you find wow I have this consistency in my life you know I don't I'm not up and down I'm not all over the map so anyway that's just kind of my my intro intro to my intro um so we're gonna uh cover Romans 2 today so let's pray Lord we thank you for your word Oh, Lord, may we have a hunger for your word, and not only to read it, but to understand it, and then to apply it, Lord, to walk in these supernatural truths, how you, Lord, have redeemed us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, one day from the presence of sin. <clears throat> but we're in this, as Christians, we're in this phase now where we're, we're having to deal with the power of sin. And Lord, we don't want it to dominate us. We don't want, want it to destroy us, because it will if we let it. We want to walk in victory and, and learn to, yes, confess and receive forgiveness every day, but to learn more and more to be overcomers and to tap in to that death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that's where the book of Romans is heading. And so, God, we, we pray you would give us the discipline to, to go deep into this book. 
and Lord, we'd quit trying to figure it out in our own intellect. We would yield like children to the Holy Spirit to teach us and to teach us about our true nature and to teach us how there is a provision for victory. There is a provision for a fruitful life and it's through faith in our gracious Savior. So Lord, we're, we're just asking you give us that spirit of wisdom, revelation, as we, as we talk about these verses today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Romans 2. So Romans is about the gospel, the good news of our salvation in Christ. But before we can appreciate the good news, we must embrace the bad news, that we are all sinners, unable to have a relationship with God based on our own merit. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, mankind has struggled with accepting responsibility for our sin. We often excuse sin or deny it altogether. We are blind to the depth of our sinfulness and how we have no hope of knowing God in our sinful state apart from the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because God loves us, he must go about the process of teaching us about our true sinful state. That is the purpose of the law of God. It is to act as a mirror to reflect our defiled state. The first three and a half chapters of Romans is God's attempt to open our eyes to our desperate sinful condition. So last week we covered Romans 1, and this taught us about how the wrath of God is revealed against those who suppress and reject the clear revelation of God through creation and conscience. They worship and serve the creation rather than the creator. As a result of their rejection of God, he gives them over to the power and consequence of their sin. It becomes a downward spiral into deeper and deeper sin, sexual perversion and deception. So Paul is laying a strong case for the desperate sinful condition of those God rejectors. But now in chapter 2, we, we talk about what about those who believe in God? So that you got this class of people who, I, I don't want God in my life, I don't care about his law. And Paul describes to us the path for those type of people. But what about those who believe in God? What about those who have not rejected God? What about those who believe in God but are trusting that their good deeds will outweigh their bad deeds? So that's what chapter 2 is all about. And there's a tendency in our fallen state as religious people to look down on those chapter 1 God rejectors. So they, these, these type of people, religious people, they agree that these sinful people of chapter 1 deserve God's judgment because of their sin and they look down their nose at these sinners. They feel safe from God's judgment because they are following the tenets of their religion or morality. But Paul's argument is that they are self-deceived. The very things for which they look down on others they are guilty of. Self-righteous self-deception is a very dangerous spiritual condition where you think you're right with God but really you're not. 
So let's read Romans 2, verses 1 through 3. And this talks about how people can be in this place where they're religious and they tend to judge others and it makes them feel good about themselves. Now, now we never do that, right? We never talk about other people's faults and it kind of makes us feel better about ourselves. But this is for all those other people who do that. Okay, Romans 2, verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the righteous, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? So it's this twisted part of our fallen nature where we can say, you know, believe in God, but yet we're trusting in our own works. And that kind of person who's not coming to Christ, just trusting in their own works, you know, you can always find someone worse than you, right? And you've witnessed to people, you say, well, hey, I'm not perfect, but compared to other people, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. So they're depending on their own righteousness is, is kind of compared to others, like as if God grades on the curve, right? So if you have a teacher, you know, my daughter's going to college right now, and if the teacher's grading on a curve, you just hope everybody else does worse than you, so you'll get a, a better grade. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. So a person in that place where they're trusting in their own works, they're trusting in their own self-righteousness, they're hoping their, their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, they could condemn someone else for being divorced or cheating on their spouse, but yet those same people have lust in their heart. And of course, Jesus said, God looks at your heart, right? And if you're lusting after a woman before God, that's like you've committed adultery. So self-righteousness, it's a very dangerous place to be. See, where Paul is moving toward in these first few chapters is to bring us to that Old Testament verse that says there's none righteous, no, not one. And this is what the purpose of the first few chapters of Romans is, and, and the entire law of God, is to basically drive us to our knees as we, we look at the law of God and we look at ourselves and we say, wow, I'm in trouble, I have fallen short, I need a savior. That's where we're moving here. So verses 4 and 5 talks about uh, how a self-righteous person can really have this hardness of heart. And you've probably met people like this. You know, they're, they're religious, but they're not really open to following Jesus. So verse 4 and 5. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath 
and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, these kind of seem like scary verses. I mean, it, if it doesn't scare you, if the judgment of God does not scare you, then something's wrong with you. Because the Bible says the, f- the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Now, if we're saved, we've trusted Jesus to forgive our sins. You know, we don't have to worry about standing before God to be judged. Now, we do have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and that definitely concerns me. You know, I want to get a good report. I, I want to live my life to where I stand before the Lord. He says, you know, Rick, you you stumbled a lot, but you you kept going and you learned and and hey well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the lord and i'm like whew, wow good can't go back and do it again right it's like god's so forgiving but he does have a very high standard doesn't he he, he does and so you read verses like this and and, and some people that really throws them off like what's all this talk about judgment well you know god gives us light and he expects us to live up to it but what he's talking about here he's talking about a person again who's religious and in the context of this really talking about the religious jew but you know in our culture we we live around people like this who are you know religious haven't surrendered to christ don't understand that they're trusting in their own works and there seems to be this hardness of heart that can happen. In other words, you start talking about sin, you start talking about the need to repent. And they're like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm a good person. I'm not perfect. And, and this is what Paul is, is trying to address, this type of person, trying to break through the self-righteousness and saying, you know, you're, you're not willing to admit you're a sinner. You're not willing to admit you need, need a savior. And you know, you've got this hardness of in, in your heart. You've got this impenitent heart, or it means unrepent, unrepentance. Repentance means agreeing with God that you're a sinner and saying you need help. It's, it's humbling yourself. But isn't that a scary thing to think? Here, here this person thinks they're right with God because they're depending and hoping on their good, good deeds outweighing their bad deeds, but really they're not right with God at all, and they're actually treasuring up for themselves wrath in the day of wrath. Isn't that scary? I mean, I, I hope I'm treasuring up rewards, right? That's, as Christians, that should be the whole thrust of our life. And, and yet those who are hardened against God are actually treasuring up or storing up wrath in the day of wrath and they stand before god and god says well you know there's there's what you sent ahead there's all the wrath now i'm gonna have to to pour on you because you sinned uh and and you you harden your heart against me so the intent of this is to wake people up is to kind of shake them up and to say wait a minute maybe i'm not okay in my own self-righteousness And then let's go through verses 6 through 10. And this is, um, this is now talking about a person who is wanting to live by their own righteousness and good deeds. And Paul saying, okay, you want to live that way? You want to be judged according to your deeds? This is how it's going to look. I mean, do you want to be judged according to your deeds? No, I want to I 
standing before God and say, you know, Jesus took the punishment for, for my deeds and, and, and the way I live my Christian life after receiving forgiveness and justification is to just cling to him and, and, and let his righteousness, you know, flow through me and, and learn to walk in that. But now Paul's addressing, again, this religious person who's saying, you know, I think my, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. So verses 6 through 10, who will render, who will render to each one according to his deeds? Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But those who are, are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness indignation and wrath tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek but glory honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek so this is not preaching salvation by works it's basically Paul saying okay that's the standard you want to live under the law and you think you're you're living up well enough to the law to get you into heaven he's saying okay you're going to be then judged by every deed you've committed in your life and you know would you really want every every secret thought everything you know broadcast up on a screen in heaven and god says okay let's go through each of these and see if if you're good enough to be into heaven and that's really the standard of the law you know you read through the law in the old testament the lord says okay here's my law uh, if you don't keep it you'll be cursed if you do keep it you'll be blessed problem is nobody could ever live up to it now he's hinting at not hinting but he's giving very strong foretelling of a, sacri a sacrifice to come, right? So in, even in the law, there was the sacrificial system. So God's desire was that you would look at the law and say, oh man, I need to keep bringing that sacrifice because I keep falling short. So, but this, this person who, who wants to be judged by the law and is not willing to come to Christ they really need to think about that. They really need to be challenged on that. If you think your good deeds are going to outweigh your bad deeds, you're really not thinking this thing through because do you really want to stand before God and go through that process of weighing your good deeds against your bad deeds? You do not want to do that. Then verse 11 through 16 talks about how your secrets are judged by God's law. Verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many have, as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So, um, 
yeah, the secrets of your heart being judged by Jesus Christ. That's why we want to come to the Savior, ask for forgiveness, admit we're sinners, quit trying to depend on our own righteousness. So, again, this is a message to the Jews of, of that time, to, to Paul's praying he can get through to them, they can think through the way they're approaching God. And they're saying, you know, he's saying, do you, do you really want to be judged by the law? Think about it now. You know, notice the there's a verse 13 through 15 is in parentheses. So if you if you just go from verse 12 to 16, you can kind of see a, a clear picture of what Paul's saying here. He's saying, those who've sinned without the law will perish without the law. So, you know, you're a Gentile, you, you don't have the law of Moses that you're you're living under, but you still have light and and you're accountable to God. Uh, and and you'll perish if you don't repent from your sin. But now let's talk about the Jew. You've sinned in the law. You'll be judged by the law in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. So it gets you examining your heart and thinking, wow, yeah, do I really want all my secrets displayed up on a screen? Do I really want to be judged by God's law. And then Paul, again, challenging the religious person, challenging the Jew who is trusting in, in the rituals, they're trusting in uh, circumcision. They're, you know, it's kind of like maybe in our time where someone would, would say, well, you know, I was baptized in this or that church, and so I'm, I'm fine, I'm saved. And yet they've had no inner transformation no conversion they're just trusting in that religious ritual and this is what paul keeps hammering trying to wake up that person who's trusting in themselves trusting in some religious ritual and not allowing the law to have its work and so paul he's really just reasoning with the jews here verse 13 he's saying okay think about this is it someone who just hears the law that's justified by the law, or is it someone who does the law that's justified? It's someone who does it, right. So a religious person could say, well, I go to church every week, and I, I hear you know, God's word, and um, I read the Bible occasionally, and, you know, so, and I, I was baptized, and, and I'm, I'm okay, or as a Jew, you know, I was circumcised, I don't eat kosher food, uh, I, I try to, you know, not do work on the Sabbath. So I'm, I've got this kind of, you know, religious thing lined up in my life that I'm trusting in and, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably okay. But Paul's arguing, now, now think about this, though. Just because you're hearing it but you're not really doing it, is God pleased with that? And then, and then he's saying, verse 14, but look at, look at the Gentiles, which I believe in, he's, he's actually referring now to Christian Gentiles and challenging the Jews to kind of look at their lives. He's saying, look at these Gentile, these Christians. They don't have the law. They're not living under the law of Moses. But by nature, they actually do the things in the law. And, and verse 15, and they show the work of the law written on their hearts, which if you're a Jew, you knew in the Old Testament, it says that God would 
take the law and write it on people's hearts. That's, that was his plan in the new covenant. And so you've got this, this Christian Gentile who's all excited about Jesus living for him. There's, there's a, a radical change in their life. And, and their, their, their life has just changed. They're, they're, this law is written on their hearts. And they might not know the law of Moses. They're not following all these religious rituals. But when they sin, they feel guilty about it. And, 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 they're, and they're going through this process of their conscience bearing witness between themselves and their thoughts accusing or excusing them. So I think that's just an interesting thing to kind of think through is it, what that, that first century Christian looked like. They're trying to work through, well, you know, now do these Gentile Christians need to follow the law of Moses and uh, do they need to observe the uh, religious holidays? And the Christians are saying, well, no, I don't, I don't feel like I have to, you know, my conscience isn't telling me I have to. And, and Paul and the leaders, you know, kind of had to argue through all this and, and came to the conclusion is no, you guys don't, you don't need to follow those religious, religious holidays. You don't need to be circumcised. I mean, you're, you're living a righteous life. And, and you think about your own transformation as a believer when you surrendered your life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit came and, and lived in you. What a radical change. I mean, I know it was for me. The things that I used to do before I was a Christian and now I'm a Christian and just God dealing with me. I mean, I, I know when I was, uh, well, I got saved when I was 17 and um, I was sharing with the family this morning, man, from the age of about, you know, 13 to 17, I, I was a terror. I was just, you know, drugs, alcohol. Um, one of my hobbies I like to do was steal. I used to like to steal. And I'm telling you, I, I had no conscience about that at all. I, I, I felt, actually felt good if I got away with it. And I figured, well, you know, those people in the store, they're rich, you know. So, I mean, I never did any, like, big-time heists or anything. But, you know, it'd be shoplifting kind of stuff. And, and um, <clears throat> you know, I had a, a friend that kind of taught me how to steal. And, uh, yeah, my dad didn't really like that kid very much. It's like, why didn't you like that? My dad could see right through this guy. You know, it's like the devil brought this kid into my life. But anyway, we would steal, and occasionally we get caught. You know, but I was a pretty fast runner, so I would always be ahead of my other friends, and they'd they'd get caught. And um, that's how I was using my athletic ability back then. You know, it's really really great. But you know, after I got saved, Nobody told me uh, to do this, but uh, I had such a um, a sensitive conscience, you know, and uh, it, it was such a transformation. I can't even, you know, you can't even explain it to somebody. Excuse me. But I remember, you know, it's just, isn't it crazy, God, how God changes you in it? You know, but I, I remember going back and trying to pay back people I'd stolen from. You know, who does that? I mean, you know, only God could do that in your heart. And this is what Paul's talking about. There's, there's a 
such a transformation that happens. Like you, God's written the law in your heart. I, I, I wasn't reading through the Bible, you know, thou shalt not steal. And, you know, it was more like, well, that was wrong for me to, to take from those people, you know. And um, But this is what Paul's talking about. There, there, is a, there is a radical transformation that occurs. And yet with the religious person where it's all just outward, you know, there's kind of a hardness of the heart. There's not that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And so we, uh, Paul's saying, you don't want, you don't really want to stand before God and have your secrets judged by him. You know, don't you want those all nailed to the cross and, 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 and forgiven? So then verse 17 through 24, this is about religious people who are, are actually trusting in the law, resting in their, their law performance. And it says, verse 17, Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law. And notice that, resting on the law. You're trusting in your law performance instead of resting in the righteousness of Jesus. You're called a Jew and you rest on the law. You make your boast in God and you know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You know, so you're, you're a religious person. You, you teach a Sunday school class, um, whatever. You know, you, you feel like, okay, you know, I've done my duty. I checked the box, but... But have you been born again? Have you gone to the cross? Do you understand the depth of your sinfulness and your need for a Savior? And then Paul challenges them. He says, verse 21, you, you therefore who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? <coughs> and you say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. So he's, Paul just keeps hammering, hammering. Like, man, don't trust in your law performance. Don't trust in your good works. Examine, let the law do its work. See, the, the intent of the law was that the intent of the law was that it would drive us to the cross, right? Not to make us feel comfortable as if we have kept the law of God. So you read the law and it says, don't commit adultery. And, and you think, well, maybe I've never physically committed adultery, but in my heart I've committed adultery. This idea about um, robbing temples, um, not really, you know, commentators aren't really exactly sure what Paul was talking about there, but could be possible that, you know, some of the Jews were profiting off of um, the idolater, uh idol temples there of their of their time somehow but again it's it's the paul challenge them think about your your relationship with god think about the purpose of the law of god and 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 
think about the whole Old Testament, you know, he's, he's quoting that verse from the Old Testament. It says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. In other words, the Gentiles are looking at the Jews and, and can see that they're, they're not really righteous. They think they are, but, you know, they're, 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 they're proud. You know, think of the Pharisees and how the Romans hated the, the religious leadership so much because they could see the hypocrisy. They could, they could see they weren't really lovers of God. And, and God is saying, you know, the people look at your life and say, you know, God isn't real. I mean, look at these Jews, how they live. Of course, that can, same thing can happen with Christians. can look at us and say, you know, you're a hypocrite. You're, you're, you're a bad name for the name of Christianity. That's why we want to live above reproach in, in the eyes of men. So, yeah, Paul's saying don't rest on the law. Let the law examine you and look at the history of Israel. Look at what, you know, God gave them the law. Look what happened. You know, the, they were, uh, God basically kicked them out of the land finally because of their breaking the law. Why do you think you're, you're any better? And then uh, finally, verse uh, 25 through 29, Paul's talking about how circumcision is of no avail. And again, it's this idea of trusting in religious ritual instead of trusting in Christ. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew he is, who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward of the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is, of, is that of the heart in the spirit, not the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So, you know, Paul, I mean, just an amazing argument. And, and I don't think a Jew could, uh, a religious Jew could argue with this. He's basically, Paul's saying, yeah, your religious ritual of circumcision, is, it's profitable if you actually keep the law. But if you don't keep the law, your, un- your circumcision is like uncircumcision. It doesn't count. God, God just doesn't overlook your, your sin and your law-breaking because you've, you've gone through this religious ritual. And I think the application for us, this person, could, again, could say, oh, I was baptized. I went through this uh, ceremony, and uh, I think I'm fine with God. And it's like, really? So you think God's just going to overlook all your sin because you went through this religious ritual? You know, have you been born again? Have you gone to the cross? Have you admitted you're a sinner to Jesus and, and you need a Savior and asked him to come into your life and forgive your sins? That's the question people have to go through, not trusting in their own works. So really, the law is to drive us to Christ. We must realize our, our desperate, sinful condition And thank God we don't have to stand before him in judgment that Jesus was uh, judged for us. And by trusting in Christ, we don't have to answer for our sins. 
we become a new person. So, you know, if there's anybody here that, you know, maybe you're not, you're not sure of your relationship with God today. You, you, you think, well, I've been a good person and, and trying my best, but you never come to that point of really just surrendering to Jesus and asking him into your life. I just challenge you to do that, you know, today. Just, just pray to the Lord. Say, Lord, uh, come into my life. Forgive my sins. The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. It's, it's that easy, really. You don't have to go through some ritual. Just call upon the Lord Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these teachings, Lord, that help us examine our own hearts, but also give us ability to, to relate to others and see where others maybe are off track and trusting in, in themselves instead of Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to, uh, to reach those who are trusting in self. And, and Lord, there could be even areas in our life as a Christian, we're trusting in our own righteousness to, to overcome sin. Help us not to do that, Lord, but to only trust in your righteousness. And so, Lord, as we, we just have a time of uh, the body sharing, uh, Lord, would your Holy Spirit speak through your people, speak to your people, and Lord, we just uh, we thank you how you do encourage us through words from others, Lord, and, and praying for others. And we just pray you would do that now in Jesus' name. Amen.